Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to see you. Hey, can we give the band a hand and say thank you to them for leading us in worship? Be great. Um, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but that is the, our one and only Chad Fayus on drums. Is there any instrument Chad cannot play? My goodness. Thank you, team. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, uh, good morning again. If you're new with us here today, my name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Community of Hope, or if you're new, or if you're a guest, or if you're streaming online with us, there you are. If you're streaming online with us, we're glad that you're joining us here this morning. Did you guys know now more than ever, not only do we have more people streaming online, but more people are streaming online first before they actually attend Community of Hope physically. So the first time experience is actually through their iPhone first before they come here. So if you're new with us, I'm really glad you joined us for worship here this morning. It's nice to meet you. Well, here's what we want to do to jump right on off. Everyone, want you to open up your Connect folders, and inside of your Connect folder that you're handed on your way in, for those of us physically here in the room, pull out this little business card here that you see here. It's a full-color business card. There you go. Pull it out. Lift it up. Let me see. Let me see. There we go. Great. Okay. Very good. So this is um, an invite to Easter. Can you believe it? Easter is only three weeks away. Crazy. We are in warp speed for 2019. I feel like I still should be buying Christmas presents from last year. This year's flying by. Uh, so we are three weeks out from Easter, from the high and holiest days in all of the Christian year. What we have on here is a little note about when our times are for Easter this year here at the West Campus. If you're streaming online, don't worry. In just a little bit, we're going to be debuting some digital resources for you to be able to have to spread the news online. So here's what we're going to be doing here at the West Campus for Easter with our services. We're telling you now ahead of time so you can pick your service, know when you're coming to it, okay? So it's Saturday, or we have two of them at 4.30 and 6 p.m. So 4.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. And then Sunday morning, 7.30 a.m., 9 a.m., 10.30 this service, and 12 p.m. So I want to give everybody a heads up about that. Now with this little card here that you're handed on your way in with a Connect folder, here's what I want to tell you. This is not meant to go in your refrigerator, do not put it there. Don't put it in the dash of your car. Don't put it in your wallet for a reminder for you. This isn't for you. This is for you to give to somebody else to invite. This is for you to hand off. Yeah. Ah, see what we did there? Yeah. This is for you to hand off to someone else to invite them to come with you. Now, here's what we're asking everybody to consider here at our church. Um, first off... Um, most people know this, but if you are an unchurched person, like if you're uh, not necessarily a you know, thing that you do, but if you're open to going to church, you're probably going to go on two days in the year, Easter and Christmas. And so now here's the deal. The most popular times in our church for somebody who's going to be a guest with us for the very first time or maybe for the only time in the year is to come at the 9 a.m. service and the 10.30 service. This one right here is probably the most popular service that we have. Um, in years past, we've had to do overflow seating in the lobby and on the porch and do whatever we can to accommodate all the people who come during that time because we have some space challenges, which are wonderful challenges to have. So here's what we're asking everybody to consider. If you're a partner of our church or you consider Community of Hope your home, first, would you consider over the next couple weeks perhaps not necessarily attending this service because of the high demand for a seat in the 
service, but perhaps you consider going to the noon service, which is often the most lively service. Noon is where it's at. It is. It is. I'm not being a salesman. If you've been, you know. We've, we've had a lot of practice. The service is great by that point. So you could go to noon, or perhaps would you consider going to the 7.30 service? Jesus rose on the third day early in the morning. Maybe you could do on Easter. So uh, just something to, something to consider to maybe give up your seat so that somebody else could grab a seat. So consider that. And also to consider, be praying over the next couple of weeks of, God, who do you want me to invite to Easter at Community of Hope this year? Now, here's what, to do, what, here's what not to do. Do not just hand this to someone, hey, you should come to church at Community of Hope at Easter. It's good for you. All right, bye. Don't do it like that. Say, hey, um, I, hey uh, I'm not sure if you know, you're interested in going to church on Easter, but if you are, um, I'd love it if you came with me. Here's the service I'm going to. I'll save you a seat. Come with me. See what I mean? That not, not like, I'm doing my duty in here. Come, but come with me. I'll save a seat for you. See the difference there? Make sure you do that. Make sure you consider that. So Easter is just three weeks away. And like my wife, Leah, said, every single store is loaded up with Easter stuff. It looks like Easter threw up all over Target and just chocolate everywhere and whatnot. So we're all gearing up. We're going to have a great service. I'm telling you, if you invite your friends or your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, whoever, I mean, if whoever you invite to Easter, I promise you, we'll make you proud. We won't embarrass you. And they're going to love it. We've been working hard on it already. We're really excited about it. So make sure you do that. Okay. Cool. Thanks for three people who heard me. Awesome. Okay. Um, so that's Easter. Now, in the time leading up to Easter is the traditional Christian season called Lent. Lent is a 40-day period plus Sundays leading up to Easter where Christians do spiritual disciplines and things to prepare their hearts for the big party we're going to throw on Sunday morning and on that weekend to celebrate how Jesus physically, literally rose from the dead, destroying death, Satan, and hell forever once and for more. So it's going to be an awesome time. Now, we lead up to doing Lent to prepare our hearts for the big party. That's where it's at. And so what people do to prepare their hearts is they fast. And fasting sometimes means where people just give up a certain thing over Lent. Um, same type of thing. So uh, some people, when they give up something during Lent, I mean, many of you have done something like this before. Some people give up chocolate for Lent. Ooh, I know. Who's, who here has given up chocolate in Lent before? A couple people. All right, they're the cranky ones. Um, some people give up fast food during Lent. It's just a form of you know, self-denial. But how do you give up Chick-fil-A? It is Jesus chicken, so you're allowed to eat it during Lent. Some people give up fast food. Um, some people give up social media for Lent. Anybody here ever given up social media for Lent? Um, I gave up Twitter for this Lent, and let me tell you, my life is 250% happier instead of being on the dumpster fire of Twitter. All it is is everyone yelling and screaming at each other, like, why do I do this to myself in the first place? Uh, so that, lots of people do different things for Lent. Well, if you're Dale, our founding pastor of our church, well, he gave up speaking for Lent. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're new with us, or if you're, uh, if, you're, uh, if you're new, or if you haven't been in a little bit, we've been talking about this over the past couple of weeks. Um, Dale, good, yeah, got the picture off. Um, Dale Locke is our founding and lead pastor of our church. And a few weeks ago, he had to have a procedure on his vocal cords um, because he developed a nodule through a whole variety of issues. And so here's the update. We're just trying to talk about it a little bit every week so everybody knows what's going on with our lead pastor. So let's see here about... Uh, two and a half weeks ago, he had his procedure. It was successful. And then they put a speaking embargo 
on Dale for about seven days, not to say a word, not to whisper, not to uh, do anything. He could not speak at all for seven days. Well, the embargo was lifted, uh, not this Thursday, but the Thursday before that. So he's had a week of just low and limited talking. Um, he had, uh, which by the way, when he started to speak again, it was kind of like um, a non-betting office pool going on of what would Dale sound like post-procedure? Would it be Donald Duck or James Earl Jones? So, or somewhere in the middle. Um, so don't worry, he doesn't sound like either of those. He sounds like himself, but he's still healing, going through the process. He had his first therapy session for his voice this Thursday. And so here's some of the limitations that they're putting on him and why you're not seeing him a whole lot. He's allowed to talk um, low and limited, 15 to 20 minutes at a time, incrementally, for a grand total of an hour and a half a day. That's it. Yeah. Um, so he's doing that. He's doing all the exercises. He has to practice breathing through a straw at his house. He's got to do all sorts of stuff like that. Um, so the goal is to hopefully get him back in the saddle in the swing of things in time for Easter. And that's what we're targeting and projecting. And that's what the doctors are saying. But we're just going to keep working through it. We'll see how his therapy goes and how his healing process goes. So keep praying for Dale. Keep praying for his healing. Keep praying for his recovery. Can you do that for your lead pastor? Awesome. Great. Thank you. Great. Um, he wanted me to tell you guys, um, like, you guys are just, seriously, you guys are crazy, stupid, loving as a church. You really, I, I'm sorry I called you stupid. I'm not trying not to offend anybody. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. I went to, crazy good at loving him. Um, I went to his house to have a, a meeting with him because I'm trying to help, you know, steward some things for him while he's out. And occasionally I got to go check in with him on a few things. And I brought just from the church office a stack of cards that was this thick to him from all of you when you send a card to the church for him. You guys are like the most loving church. It's awesome being a pastor at Community of Hope. It's awesome. So give yourselves a hand for that. Thank you for loving Dale. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So keep praying for him. Keep praying for his Beth, or his wife, Beth, his breath. Um, keep praying for his wife, Beth. He says he really outkicked his coverage, and she's doing a great job of taking care of him and being patient through this whole thing, too. So keep praying for them. All right, so that's enough of that. We are jumping back into the handoff series here today. And can you believe that this is the fourth week we're doing handoff? This Man, it's just flying, flying by. I want to take a minute to honor um, our student ministry, COH students, who led, worship, and spoke at both of our campuses last week. So can we honor Eric and Danny and Jake and Rebecca? They just killed her. Where's Eric at? I just saw him. There's Eric right there. Good job, buddy. Danny's in China, apparently. So hi, Danny, in China, whatever. Um, they did an awesome job last week. So thank you to them for All In Weekend and them challenging us to have God, to let God own all of our story, our past, our present, our future, so we can hand off faith to the next generation. It's really powerful, really powerful. What we're doing in this sermon series for handoff is we're tying everything to one theme verse, a theme passage. This is kind of our tradition that we've been working here. And our theme verse for this passage comes from 1 Peter 3.15. So if you haven't taken out your sermon notes yet, go ahead and do that now. Uh, the passage is at the top of your page. It's going to be on the screen. And we're encouraging everybody to try to memorize it across this series. But on the weekends, we're going to read it out loud all together as one voice, as one church. And even though streaming online, I encourage you to read this out loud too, wherever you are. Okay, so 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Let's read it together. Go. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. 
You heard us recap kind of what we've been talking about the past month in the video that you just saw. What Peter is talking about here in this passage is that for those of us who do identify as a follower of Jesus, which our church is full of people who are still trying to navigate faith, who are still maybe a little bit skeptical, or maybe you just don't even know what we're talking about, but you're open, you want to hear from more, and you're seeking, and you're curious about God. Um, you could come to our church and belong as a part of our community here while you're still trying to figure out all those issues and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. Now, for that's a large group of people in our church. For those of us who have taking the step to identify as a follower of Christ, what Peter's talking about in these verses is that it's not only important for followers of Jesus to tell other people about Jesus. That's not it. It's how you tell others about Jesus. That we need to give the reason for the hope that we have. And we need to tell others about Jesus, but to do it with gentleness and respect, to be winsome, to be helpful, to be inspiring, to be practical. It's just not enough for you to tell others about Jesus. How you tell somebody about Jesus and how you live your life and how you do the handoff really, really matters. That's what we're talking about. Now for today, that's our theme verse. For today's passage, what we're going to be looking at is Acts chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there now. Um, most people in our church, when they read their Bible these days, they read it on their phone, on a, on a Bible app. I'm a part of a Bible study on Thursday mornings. I meet at O Dark 30 at Panera Bread with a bunch of young guys, and I am the only one with a paper Bible every single week. Makes me feel old, even though I'm not. And so anyway, uh, don't tell me that I'm old. It'll hurt my feelings. Okay. So we're in Acts chapter 9, and what's on your notes is verses 10 through 19. But we're going to read the whole context of verses 1 through 19 to help you understand everything that's going on. If you are familiar with the Bible at all, um, and if you have been a follower of Jesus for any period of time, you've heard this story. You've either read it yourself, you've had somebody talk to you about it, because it's a Hall of Fame passage in the Bible. Of the 66 books that comprise the one book of the Bible, this one chapter is one of the most pivotal chapters in all of Scripture. It's because it's the story of the conversion of a man named Saul. And you've heard about him before. Saul eventually became a follower of Jesus who changed his name to become Paul. Paul would go on to become the greatest missionary in the history of the church. Paul would go on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul would go on to make sure that Christianity wasn't just um, a subdivision of the Jewish faith, but through the leading and power of the Holy Spirit, Paul helped lead Christianity to be not just for Jewish people, but actually for anybody who would endeavor to call on the name of Jesus. Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. If you are a human being, you could become a follower of Jesus. Thanks to Paul. Amen to that, right? Amen to that. We are here. Um, if you're of Jewish descent, that's wonderful. Jesus came for you first. But if you're a Gentile here of non-Jewish descent, me, when uh, that was, you know, when that all was happening in Jerusalem with Jesus, my ancestors were painting their faces blue and stealing horses in Scotland, okay? <laughs> and so, because of Paul, I get to follow Jesus. So do you. So this is Acts chapter 9, the wonderful story of the handoff that Paul received to become a follower of Jesus. So let's read this here. Acts 9.1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Pause. Um, 
in our day and age, we're in a kind of like a, a very secular society, a pluralistic society, uh, where it's, people have lots of different faiths and whatnot. Most of the people in our part of the country, in our part of the world, it's not so much that they're against the teachings of Christianity, which some are. It's that most are ambivalent or don't even know. Paul is anti-faith in Christ. He's anti-followers of Jesus, anti-the Jesus movement. He's literally trying to kill people who follow Jesus. This is the situation. He was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So this is more than just an opinion. This is his hobby to imprison Christians. He's going from town to town to do this. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He said. See, he doesn't know who's crying out to him in the light. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Wow. Saul's whole worldview got shattered in that one moment. I'm Jesus and you're persecuting me. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. See, before this moment, he could see in the physical, but he was blind spiritually and didn't know it. And now that his spiritual eyes have been opened, mysteriously, his physical eyes have been blinded. So they led him by the hand to Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Verse 10, here's where your notes pick up. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. If you're taking notes, underline that name, circle that name, do whatever. And this name is important. We're going to talk about him a lot. Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. See, this person knows who's speaking to him from the vision. He knows this person. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Wow. Verse 13, uh, Lord, Ananias answered, uh, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. God, have you been reading the headlines? Are you sure? And uh, he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name, Jesus. As in, translated short, Lord, are you sure? Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, did I stutter? Wait, that's not what it says. The Lord said to Ananias, go, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias, he went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, wow, what an act of grace. Brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Title of today's message this morning, we're calling God Needs Me. Would you pray with me? So Lord Jesus, here's my prayer. We've read your word. We've worshiped you this morning. We've built relationships with each other. We've worshiped you by giving our tithes and our offerings. And now that we've read your word, Lord, like somebody who blows on embers in a campfire to cause a fire to grow, would you breathe on our hearts now and cause the fire of your Holy Spirit to be kindled in this room? We know you're here, but we ask you to move in a powerful, all-consuming way with your living flame of love. Breathe on us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. So what we're talking about today um, is the handoff from Ananias to Saul slash Paul. Um, Just just public service announcement, there's probably going to be many times today when I say Saul, but I mean to say Paul. When I say Paul, I mean to say Saul. We all just roll with me? Okay, thank you. We're talking about the handoff from Ananias to Saul. And there's a lot of important principles here that we're going to learn about this handoff of faith in the Bible and what it is that Ananias did for Saul and their interchange. What does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about God's relationship with humanity? What does this teach us about how we can become part of the handoff? There's a lot here that we're going to learn from today that's going to be um, informative and challenging and inspiring for us all. Um, Paul, or see, there it is, (laughs) Saul... Um, we can learn a lot from him, especially for those of you who are not yet a follower of Jesus and you're still navigating this whole thing. You might even be deeply skeptical, deeply doubtful, maybe somebody who invited you here to hear this message. Um, You can identify with him. Saul's journey is interesting and it's atypical for somebody who becomes a follower of Christ. Most people who become followers of Jesus do not have Jesus blind them while they're driving down I-95 on the way to somewhere. Most followers of Jesus, they're come to faith. Um, it's like a light switch. There are usually one or two stories. It's usually like a dimmer switch. A dimmer switch is a type of light switch where you know where you turn on light incrementally, gradually, and you can lighten up a room slowly over a period of time. That's how most people, I think unscientifically, I think that's about 80%-ish of how people come to faith in Jesus. It's gradual, it's incremental, it's a process, and eventually you find yourself with all the the lights on it. You're a follower of Jesus. Um, I had a friend when I was going to Florida State University who um, used to be a follower of Jesus and and just eventually through a whole variety of things um, decided that I can't believe this anymore. I think the whole thing's a hoax. I think it's a sham. None of it's real. And he just walked away from faith and religion altogether. Um, and uh, he was just bewildered and confounded by anybody who would dumb enough, be dumb enough to believe in the Bible and believe in Jesus. And then he met me. And he thought I was dumb enough to believe in the Bible, but I seemed really sincere about my experience. And he was confounded by it. He was like, can we go to lunch and talk about this? I said, sure. And I wasn't trying to seal the deal with him at lunch. I wasn't like, what's it going to be, brother, heaven or hell, right now, Jesus or not? Tell me what it's going to be. We just started talking about faith and life. And what do you know? I wasn't weird about it. I was just being a friend and building a relationship. And he asked me for the reason for the hope that I had, and I told him. 
And he said, hey, this is good. Can we just like keep getting food every week and keep talking about just build and hang out? I'm like, yeah, I like food. I like you. Let's hang out. And we went to every hippie restaurant in Tallahassee and ate every type of food I'd never tried before in my entire life. Um, just getting to know each other, talking about life and faith and what we believe and what we don't believe. And we had these lunches over the course of a year and a year and a half. And then one day my friend called me and he said, hey, I have something to tell you. I'm like, yeah, what's up? He said, I, I don't know how this happened and I don't know how I got here, but I think I'm a Christian now. <laughs> I was like, you think you are? Well, when did this happen? And you know what he said to me? I don't know. I think I just found myself here. Dimmer switch. That's most of us. Saul, not dimmer switch, light switch. On, off. Not a follower, follower, dramatic experience, overnight complete change. That's another different type of story. Regardless of what story you have of how you're navigating faith, it's all legitimate, but people are different. So we can learn a lot from Saul, but we can also learn a lot from Ananias and how he handed off to this man named Saul who would go on and change the course of human history. When I was reading the passage this week with our team as we're trying to put our hearts and our minds together on the message, there's one thing in particular that stuck into my mind when I'm thinking about Ananias and who Jesus sent Ananias to Saul that just confounded me. How many of you have ever said before, faith would be so much easier if Jesus would just appear to me and tell me he's God? A lot of us. Some people do experience that even today. Not many do. Saul experienced it. I'm like, oh, he, man, he got the golden ticket. He got to have what everybody wants. But if that was all somebody needed to become a follower of Jesus, then why in the world did Jesus think it was necessary to send another human being to hand off to Saul? Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Apparently, in Jesus' wisdom, it's not enough for him to just appear to somebody. But he sent a human with the message of hope. See, God's been doing this all throughout the scriptures. He's been doing this all throughout the journey of Christianity. Um, he did this uh, when God appeared to Moses. And, you know, the call of Moses, the famous passage from Exodus chapter 3. Listen to this. This is Moses' first conversation with God. And God says this to him. The Lord said... I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Oh, God is a God of compassion. And I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Verse 8. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Ring the bell. God's ready to rumble. He's about to lay the smack down on Egypt. And he's going to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. Yeah, get them, God. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Bring it on. Let's go. Verse 10. So now, Moses, go. I'm sending you. <laughs> Say What? No, no, you said you were coming down and you were going to whoop up on him. I am sending you. Wait, no. <laughs> so there's an important principle right here in all of God's word. Jesus did this too later on. Scripture talks about Jesus as he's the light of the world. And then Jesus went to his disciples and said, you're the light of the world. What? 
Write this down. Here's what we can learn from Ananias and his handoff. God, in his wisdom, in his plan, has chosen to work through people. God has chosen to work through people he always has and he always will. God chooses to redeem and save the world by working through people to save people. This is how he's always done it, and this is how he will always do it. Now, not only does God choose that strategically as his plan of action to invade the earth and overthrow the kingdom of darkness and bring his kingdom here on earth, he's going to do it through his followers and through people. But not only that, man, he's a what God is like is like a good, loving father who wants to include his kids on what he's doing. So not only he chooses it strategically, he wants to work through you. He chooses to work through people, and he wants to work through you. More than strategy, more than planning, his heart's desire is to include you in it. Now, not only that, but once you think about Ananias, for me, what's fascinating is we heard and saw the trepidation in Ananias' voice and his fear to go do what God told him to do. We have to ask an interpretive question. What if he said no? See, we believe here at our church how God in his omnipotence, which means he's all-powerful, and in his sovereignty has chosen to give people free will. Now, many Bible-believing Christians believe uh, differently about this, so I'm not going to make a mountain out of a molehill, but my belief in the general trend of our church here is that we believe God in his sovereignty grants free will to people, which means God allows people to say yes to him or to say no to him. And not only for following him or not, but when he asks us to do something, we can say yes or we can say no. Can you imagine what would have happened if Ananias said no? Maybe there was somebody else in Damascus God could have sent to Saul, but I don't know. It was a high calling. Just, again, we're speculating here. We don't know. But what if he said no? What would we have missed out if no one came to pray for the guy named Saul who had Jesus appeared to him, now was blinded and didn't know what to do next? Some things won't happen unless we say yes to God. So write this down. It sounds weird to say. It's almost like heretical to say it, but it's not. It's true. God chooses to work through people. God wants to work with you. And here's the deal. God needs you. God needs you. Now, God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. And what I'm trying to say here is that God has chosen, in his self-limiting power, he has chosen to need us in his endeavor to save the world. Look at this here. Later in Paul's life, he wrote this decades later after becoming a follower of Jesus in Romans chapter 10. And I'm about to read this to you. And in my just holy imagination, I'm thinking to myself, what if Paul was thinking, Saul, what if he was thinking of Ananias when he wrote these words? He says this here, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As in, it doesn't matter if Jesus appears to somebody and says, I am God, they still need somebody else to come and help them, tell them about the hope and faith of Jesus Christ and lead them along the way. Every Saul needs an Ananias. Every Saul needs an Ananias. 
And what I believe what Jesus did to Ananias in that moment is what he does for every person who already calls in the name of Jesus. And he stands before you and reaches out his hand and says, will you help me save the world? And when you frame it like that, I don't know somebody who doesn't say yes to that invitation. See, what Ananias teaches us here is not just that God needs people, but if we want to become a part of God's redemptive journey, I want to become an Ananias for another soul. If I want to get in on the game. What's most important in this whole thing is how to learn how to hand off with the Holy Spirit, is to learn how to hand off and follow Jesus wherever he's going. Somewhere outside of these walls, Jesus is working in Saul's life right now. It's not up to you, but God has a role for you to play to become an Ananias to another person. And if you want to follow him, if you want to say yes to it and get in on the game, I suggest a few things for you of how to follow Jesus in the handoff. So write this down. If you want to do that, Here's the first thing you should do. Just my pastor tip to you. Do this. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Now, it seems strange to be like, wait, no, we're talking about other people. Right. Pray for yourself first. Let me explain. Um, If it's true that God has given us free will, then that means we need to yield it to God. Say, I surrender my free will to you, and you can do whatever you want. Consider these three things we pray for yourself. You want to be part of the handoff for somebody else. One, ask God to use you. Ask God to use you. When I was preparing for this message in my office this week, I was typing out stuff and I was thinking through this and I thought to myself, huh, if I'm going to tell people to do some things on Sunday, I should do them before I get up on the stage so I'm not a huge hypocrite. And so I said, okay, Lord, um, I surrender my will to you. Please use me however you want today to reach people for you. Amen. Now let me get back to my to-do list. And not 30 seconds later, my phone rang. And it rang from a phone number from a person I hadn't spoken to in over a year. And I looked at it, and let me tell you how spiritual your pastor is. No, nah, that can't be God. <laughs> just right back at it. <laughs> and then it just went to voicemail, but they didn't leave a message. I'm like, okay, whew, I might be off the hook. And then it rang again from the person. If somebody calls you back-to-back twice, you know, something's up. And so this is my response for how spiritual and holy I am as your pastor. This was my response in the presence of God. (laughs) Hey man, what's up? It's a friend of mine who lives on the West Coast of the United States and I had talked to him in a year and I've been his friend and a pastor of his for a long, long time and he doesn't have a church home out there yet. And he called me to tell me that his grandfather had died the day before and was looking to talk to somebody and somebody could pray for him not 30 seconds after I asked God to use me. See, when we're talking about this prayer stuff, prayer makes stuff happen. Prayer makes things happen. I was begging. It may, it, prayer is good. Okay. <laughs> you know, prayer is, I'm sending thoughts and prayers and positivity. Prayer moves heaven and earth. And when you surrender your will to God, God uses it. So tell him, God, use me. I have my hand up. Use me. You know what else you can do? You can ask God for opportunities to share and invite with people. I'm going to pick on my wife, Leah, here for a minute. Hey, baby, I love you. Okay. But we're going to pretend my wife, Leah, doesn't know Jesus and is far from God. And so I could pray for, Lord, save my wife, Leah. She's a huge sinner. I mean, she's just a 
big, big sinner, man. She really needs Jesus, so Jesus save her. That's one way to pray for people. You know what a better way to pray for people is? Lord, Leah is far from you. Give me opportunities to share and invite her. And what do you know? God loves giving opportunities to people. Here's another thing. When you're praying for yourself, you could ask for divine appointments. Divine appointments, like not just what's on your calendar, but say, God, I give you permission to interrupt my day with something that you want to do, with somebody you want me to just cross paths with. When I was a chaplain for a summer preparing to be a pastor, my supervisor told me, make your rounds with everybody who's about to have surgery and pray with them. And then when you're done, when you have nothing else to do, go to the chapel and say, God, schedule divine appointments for me today, and you can use me. And so there's one time when I just, I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. God scheduled divine appointments for me. Amen. I made my rounds, did what I was supposed to, and then just started walking the halls of the hospital, doing whatever I wanted to do. And then I ran into a woman who looked distraught. And she said to me, sir, do you know where ICU is? I have a family member who's gravely ill. Do you know where the ICU is? And I went, yeah, it's right down that way. Just go in there. Okay, cool. And then I went, uh-oh. And I walked back real quick and said, hey, uh, ma'am, this is going to sound crazy, but 30 minutes ago, I asked God to put people in my path who I could help them. And, and before I could even finish the sentence, she burst into tears and said, I know, it's me. And I took her in the side room. I prayed for her and went and prayed for her loved one in ICU. Ask God to use you, and he will. Do that. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Pray for others. This is a picture of a man named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody is one of the great evangelists who's ever lived in the history of our country. And D.L. Moody, one thing he did was he took a sheet of paper and he listed a hundred names of people he knew who were far from God. And he would pray for them specifically by name regularly. And when one of them would come to faith in Christ, he would scratch their name off the list. By the time of D.L. Moody's funeral, his 100-name prayer list had 96 names scratched off of it, of 96 people who had come to faith in Jesus because he named them in God's presence. Pretty powerful. And then at the funeral, the last four gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. When you name somebody in God's presence, it's not thoughts and prayers. Positivity. You're moving heaven and earth. That's why we have names on tags here. It's why here's a picture of the West Campus of the day they broke ground on the building you're in right now. Those white spots are rocks with names on it written as a prayer in God's presence that are under the ground you're on right now. And Community of Hope in that picture was 300 people, and now it's 1,850 people because prayer changes things and moves things. When Ananias has learned to say yes to God and yes to the Holy Spirit, things happen. Here's a picture of the East Campus. We prayed in there. This is in 2017 when we're renovating it. If you haven't been there yet, it looks like a mix between Fixer Upper and New York. Joanna Gaines would love it. <laughs> and before we renovated it, that's everybody having a prayer meeting, writing names of their family, friends, and neighbors, and loved ones who are far from God on the walls of the East Campus. And I had forgotten about this picture until it came up on my screensaver this week on my computer, and I remembered... <gasps> There are names I wrote with a Sharpie marker on the wall there that I wrote with my own hand that I witnessed with my own eyes in that room come to faith in Jesus Christ since that time. 
Because prayer changes things when you pray for others. So do it. Start making a list. You might not know 100 people, but you know five. Write them down. So when you pray for others, you've prayed for yourself, now do this. And just pay attention. Pay attention. Because let me tell you, friends, the likelihood of Jesus coming to you in a vision saying, go on Southern Street. There's a man named Joe selling watermelons who's waiting for you by name to tell him about Jesus. <laughs> That's probably not going to happen. It might. It might. But it's probably not. But here, what is what's going to happen? I guarantee it. Send a text message. Call this person. Right now, invite them to church. They're sharing about their pain and their hurt. Share with them yours and what I've done for you. It will come like thoughts in the back of your head. And it will seem small, but if you pay attention and learn to follow Jesus, you can be Ananias, and you never know when you're handing off to someone who could be Saul. Amen. The band's going to come out, and here's what we're going to do in our final moments. Uh, we're going to introduce a new song to you guys. It's our kind of an Easter anthem. We're going to teach our church and sing that day. It's a great song. Um, and so I encourage you to learn it, to sit and reflect and to pray. And we're going to sing loud towards the end. But let's pray first and say yes to God. Say, God, I want to be Ananias. Would you pray with me? So just right now, we're going to pray short prayers. We don't need to pray long, elaborate prayers. But just right where you're at, ask God to use you. Do it now. And right now where you're at, pray for some people who are far from God. You don't need a hundred names, but I know you know at least one. Pray for them now. Lord, hear our prayers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So now may the God of hope Fill you all with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, go be Ananias. Go hand off. In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. We'll see you next week.